Hello? Hello? Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have done that. Shh. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Are you telling me you built a time machine? What about the DeLorean? The Statue of Liberty is the point. Disconcerting. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Welcome, welcome to Cine Siblings Podcast. The podcast where two brothers have an in-depth discussion about film. I'm Ian. And I'm James. So, Ian, what movie are we reviewing today? We are going to talk about, discuss, review, share our thoughts on 2002's 28 Days Later. The movie is directed by Danny Boyle and written by Alex Garland. Starring Killian Murphy, Naomi Harris, Brendan Gleeson, and Christopher Eccleston. It sits at a cool 7.6 on IMDb and 73 on Metacritic. And it is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes at 87% with an audience score of 85%. Uh, and what I notice right off the bat is it's pretty rare to see a critic and an audience score agree so heavily on a movie. But IMDb's description of the film is... Four weeks after a mysterious, incurable virus spread, spreads throughout the UK, a handful of survivors try to find sanctuary. Amazon's description, hailed as the most frightening film since The Exorcist, acclaimed director Danny Boyle's visionary take on zombie horror. Isn't just scary, it's absolutely terrifying. And the thing I noticed about that description is, and or review, um, I think that review comes from access Hollywood is every single horror movie is compared to the exorcist. I remember this was compared to the exorcist. And then now in modern, the modern era of films, you have hereditary came out and now it's the scariest movie since the exorcist. So why, why they always compare every movie to the exorcist. I don't know, but I think it's just one of those things as it was a kind of a landmark film in its day. And it was really popular. Everyone saw it. That was back in the seventies and scared the bejesus out of a lot of people. Yeah. There are always reports about the exorcist there. The, the showings in the theater of people passing out and the ambulances having to bring people do they had heart attacks or, I don't, you know, there's all kind of rumors. I watched a documentary recently about uh, cursed film sets. That's on the Shutter streaming app. Uh, I got the seven day free trial just to watch that docuseries. And it was it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting uh, to see all the so-called cursed film sets. And The Exorcist was on there. Um, Isn't that a lot of urban myth, though? It is. It is a lot of urban myth uh, and a lot of weird stuff. But... 
Okay, uh, so Danny Boyle, the director of this movie, is uh, he did Train Spotting and he also did uh, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, um, which was I was a pretty big fan of that growing up. I, Tilda Swinton, DiCaprio, pretty cool movie. Um, Alex Garland, the writer of this, back then I didn't know anything about Alex Garland, but the he has come to the forefront of the science fiction film community with uh, Ex Machina and um, Annihilation with Natalie Portman. Uh, both of those movies star Oscar Isaac, but those of Alex Garland has really come into his own. Um, I think he directed those movies too. I could be wrong, but I don't have it right in front of me, but um so is this uh 28 days late later is it streaming anywhere right now it is not currently streaming anywhere uh none of the big streamers carry it currently which is slightly upsetting uh but it is a indie film that was distributed by fox searchlight i believe uh so i'm not really sure where those movies sit currently with after disney's acquisition of fox i certainly do not see it coming to disney plus unless they want to dip their toe into more R-rated affairs, Hulu would probably be the where it ends up if it ends up anywhere. But uh, just a funny side note is I've owned this movie three different times and three different formats. I had the DVD copy way back when. I got a Blu-ray copy when a Blockbuster was closing down. I got it for cheap uh, along with its sequel. And now I had to buy a digital copy because my Blu-ray has gone missing on Amazon, which... We'll run you about $15 if you want to watch this movie, uh, stream it. Yeah, when I was doing my prep, I just had my old DVD hanging out. So I pulled it out and had to hook back up the DVD player because I didn't need one. Right. I haven't needed one with all the streaming services lately. So um, it's, good to keep, it's good to keep hold of the, yeah. the vintage uh, hardware and software. And a lot of my blue, my whole Blu-ray collection was lost in a flood we had here locally. Or, uh, but I salvaged all of the Blu-rays and I saved them into a uh, a CD, bunch of CD wallets, like three three big giant CD wallets full of DVDs, um, which are almost useless now. Uh, but I had uh, twenty-eight weeks later, and then a sl- an empty slot above it where twenty-eight days later was, and I was like looking everywhere for it, and I have no idea what happened to it. Yeah. Uh, the trailer for this movie, I watched it, because uh, Amazon offers you to watch the trailer for the movie you're about to buy, and boy, is it bad. Trailers in this time period were just awful. Like, looking at them now, the you know trailers, modern trailers are awesome. They get you hyped. They make you feel something, give you goosebumps. I watched this trailer, and... It was a mess. There was three different songs playing. They cut to three different songs throughout the whole thing. Uh, it felt scatterbrained and it was way too long. I mean, if I saw this trailer now, I definitely would not have gone to see this movie. Do you think that had to do with the fact that it was maybe an independent film and they're not really, they're, yeah. they're into making the movie and not the psychology of selling it well what they do now the days are is they ship footage that they want sorry they ship footage that they want to have included in a trailer and they give it to whatever the production company's trailer house is and that trailer 
the people who their entire job is just cutting trailers, putting music over it. And uh, I don't know that that was a process back then. I'm not really sure of the history of that, but they, this trailer was bad and it was weird. So one thing about looking back at an older film, uh, do any fond memories come up or, you know, any bad memories come up when you think about the film or when you rewatched it? Look, I, I, I remember when this came to theaters, I was probably 12. It was 2002. I was probably in the seventh grade, something like that. Seventh, eighth grade. I don't, not really sure, but uh, I had a, my best friend showed me this. My best friend growing up showed me this movie. And he, he, when he found a movie, he would become oddly obsessive about it. He would watch it almost every day. Uh, and I love to watch free movies, but not like he did. Uh, anyway, Anyway, rewatch them. Yeah. Yeah. Rewatch them. He would just rewatch them almost every day. He would quote it back to you. Like we'd be walking down the street and he'll be quoting this movie to you that, you know, nonstop. And we'd laugh about it. It was like an inside joke. Um, anyways, when he showed this movie to me, I instantly fell in love with it. I, I love the darkness of it all. It looked gritty and messy. And I, it really cemented my love for not only zombie and post-apocalyptic fare, but horror in general. Uh, I was not a big fan of horror, you know, as a kid, like a young, young kid, I remember my first experience watching Nightmare on Elm Street with with you, uh, James. Mm-hmm. And I didn't sleep for f- two nights. I stayed up. We shared a room at the time. I stayed up all night. The bunk beds? No, no we had the, the split apart beds. But okay. I stayed up for two nights. Uh, one, I didn't want to get caught in Freddy Krueger's dream. And two, I watched to make sure that you didn't get caught up. I was in the third grade. I was in the third grade, to be fair. I was terrified, and I didn't want to touch a, another scary movie, I think, until The Ring came out, which was about the same time period as this. Uh, so The Ring and 20 Days Later were really what jump-started my love for horror. And I think... Um, I don't know, but we watched... Me and my friend, we watched this movie somewhere in the infinite amount of times range and we downloaded the soundtrack on LimeWire or whatever it was at the time and we listened to that at death as well the soundtrack in this movie this movie is outstanding uh but i really wanted to own this movie so i could watch it on a bigger tv than my friend's little 12 inch tube tv that was in his room but i was in like seventh grade i didn't have any money so christmas time kind of came I convinced our mom to buy this DVD for our stepdad for Christmas, which <laughs> I probably swiped when I moved out. And I, in retrospect, thinking about this memory, I was like, wow, I'm a manipulative little shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually have that deep uh, affection for this film. I'm coming at it on a, not a not a blank slate. I do remember it. I do remember you, you being rather highly attached to it but for me i don't like horror movies very much um but where i do tend to uh come into it is i like science fiction i like uh philosophical um contemplative movies but some cerebral things and this has that this isn't a, a simple um 
movie that's out to just scare your your socks off this is a movie that's out there that's going to make you think um and scare you to an extent but it's not um as far as, as when i'm re-watching it um and i i do get scared of horror movies which is one reason why i don't tend to watch them very much this one is um has some frightening moments but it it didn't throw me um for a loop at any point as far as just being scared um and i think that's one of the reasons why i do enjoy the film um but yeah so all right well let's get into the film and we open of course with the iconic fox fanfare and immediately it kind of goes white and then we immediately abruptly open to various grainy clips and footage of really terrible things. Uh, we have riots and public ex executions, police brutality. Um, apparently, I read that they used actual footage, some actual footage cut with deep fakes of footage from the riots that happened in Sierra Leone. Um, and that mm -hmm. was part of the... Um, um, so the camera zooms out a little and to the little screens, all having these types of clips playing on the on loop. Uh, the camera pans out further and we see a monkey, a chimpanzee, I guess. I couldn't remember if it was a chimpanzee or, a, or an orangutan. Uh, this monkey, this primate, is strapped to a table being forced to watch this awful thing, this craziness. Uh, already far-fetched, kind of. But again, I think this is an allegory for... The things our future generations will see in the real world and this apocalyptic world is sort of what our children will inherit um that's where i that's what immediately what i think of when i see that that now re-watching it not as a teenage kid well, um, they study history like yeah. the whole thing yeah i mean this i feel like i kind of picked this movie one we're entering halloween season and we have a global pandemic going on and also civil unrest in the United States. And I think this kind of knocks those three things down. You know, it's relevant. Uh, yeah, I think the zombie, the zombie genre in general is inherently relevant all the time because of some of the things that, and it's because of some of the themes that are inherent to zombies in the idea. And I think they're, they're um, completely integral to the human condition. So I don't know. I can't think of any zombie movie that doesn't have some relevance and some some lasting For stuff. Sure. But this, I think, has some additional um, additional relevance with how it's uh, presented. All right. Well, the camera pans out, pans over to a security monitor where we have now established where the hell we are. We're in Cambridge, uh, the Cambridge Primate Research Center. Cambridge is in the UK. It's a school. University. Correct? It's a university in Cambridge, uh, United Kingdom. We see some masked individuals enter the center by scanning a card, and now they are walking around witnessing all this really awful shit. Uh, they unmask and start taking pictures of all the, these primates being abused and dissected. Uh, camera pans over to a scientist who has walked in on these, uh, these people, these, these activists. activists. Yeah, they're activists. They are actually credited on IMDb as activists. Um, and he's kind of awestruck, holding a cup of coffee, and he, when he realizes he's been seen, he bolts, he runs away, 
dropping his coffee and they catch him as he's uh, trying to call security and they hang the phone up before he can actually tell them where he is. And uh, this is, I've always loved this scene after they catch the scientists and he's telling them, Oh, they're infected. They're infected. And yeah, that was really highlighted. The activists are like infected with what? And then rage, rage. He's, you can tell he's terrified. The scientist is terrified of, you know, what these monkeys have become. Um, and, and yet he didn't do anything about them. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just there to observe. Honestly, this guy's just there to observe what's going on. All these monkeys are in cages. They pose no threat to him, you know. And uh, the activists proceed to release these monkeys against the, the, the scientists' warnings to establishes for us what kind of zombie world we're getting uh, or what kind of zombies we're getting. They are contagious. Uh, and it's spread by their blood and their saliva. So setting up the world building right off the bat. Uh, right, you have to have your zombie rules. Yeah, you, know, you do. You do have to have zombie rules. You're like, the, the viewer needs to understand how you can get infected. Uh, the monkeys, they come bolting and barreling out of their cages. And the woman activist gets straight up mauled and chewed on by this monkey. Um, and I really don't like this the the way the the cinematography is here. It's one of those real yeah. abruptly cut flash to here and there. It's it's really hard to follow. But uh, you know you're you're dealing with animals, and you know that's normally done to cover bad choreography. Um, but I don't think that's I don't think it's covering bad choreography. Well, you're dealing I with think, animals. You can't really choreograph, choreograph what animals are going to do. But, and but also, I, like, most, CGI would be bad. CGI would be terrible. But most monkey, most animals that they use in films are trained. These monkeys are definitely trained, like no doubt, and they get a reward for doing what sure. what they are asked to do. Um, also, a real a real chimp can tear off your face. Oh, for sure, I mean, it's for like, sure. You see it; they're powerful animals. Um, but I think the shaky cam footage is just there. The shaky brought cuts. It's chaotic, but yeah, I think it's supposed to be chaotic. I mean, it's supposed to absolutely it, the lighting, the, yeah. the 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 red lighting, um, the, the abrupt cuts, certainly the the sound effects. Um, yeah, it definitely conveys the chaos of an attack like that. Mm. Um, but what I want to talk about one quick thing on on the suspension of disbelief, and, and that's um, you know I, I like to point out little things in in movies of well this hurts my suspension of disbelief. It and it and it's, and here. Um, you know, I've had a friend who actually has worked at a research center where they have primates and they do these sorts of tests. Of course, not these sorts of tests, um, but the idea that uh, this is so virulent, this rage virus is so virulent and no human had contracted it. You really don't need um, activists to let these 
let these guys go because you get spat on, you get feces thrown at you, you get grabbed and all these sorts of things um, at these sorts of research centers. So this is, this is a dramatization, which is good, but um, it, it is one of those things that you look at and you kind of go, well, if they, if they're doing this at all, and, and, you know, there's all the, the conspiracy theories and, and suggestions about how these things got out of how, like to say the coronavirus uh, COVID-19 got out of uh, a Chinese research lab, whether that's true or not, you know, we, we won't know. And I don't think we ever will, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be uh, activism, but it makes for better cinema, I think, to have it. Yeah. Do you think this rage virus represents something in the world? Like, what does it represent? I think it's on the face. I think it represents rage, anger. Um, and I think, I think as we go in and analyze the movie, we'll see that a little bit more. Okay. So... The scientist sees that this this woman is now infected, and you need to kill her now. He keeps saying you need to kill her now, and the girl rolls over the monkeys off of her, and she pukes up a massive amount of blood on the ground. Uh, it's pretty horrifying to see because she's twitching, and uh, it's also establishing how contagious this can be and how it will spread, uh, puking blood and whatever else up on onto the ground, but also onto other people. Uh, the scientist runs and he fetches a stool saying, we have to kill her now. The woman starts twitching violently and turns to the camera and we get an abrupt cut close up of her eyes, which are now terrifyingly blood red. She's turned into a Sith Lord. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, she is Darth Maul now. Um, but honestly, this scene when I first saw it, I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm in, this is terrifying. Uh, but it wasn't like to the point where it was going to give me nightmares or anything, no. but it was definitely like, you could tell when somebody is infected there, this is also, there's, you could tell the difference between a human and, uh, yeah. infected. And now I don't know, in a post COVID world, I'm kind of wondering if everybody in their, uh, you know, because everybody is now a virologist and knows everything about viruses. I don't know how many people will be able to suspend their disbelief at how fast um, it actually mask. take. <laughs> how fast it'll actually take effect. And actually, I don't know that that is. Um, it, it, but it's a it's an interesting um, difference, I guess, in some form or fashion right. uh, from other zombie movies, where it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm gonna like say the walking dead is like, yes, I did get bitten or, you know, I, I'm, we, we were all infected already, you know, if we die and, and they don't destroy our brain, like this is a, this is a completely different sort of thing. Um, and so it's, it's nice to have a different take whether or not it's, um, I mean the whole, the whole zombie genre is always, you know, scientifically suspicious and suspect. Um, so, well, I mean, the whole zombie thing isn't maybe a it's virus. Not sci-fi. It's, it's maybe it's not sci-fi. It's, this it's is a commentary, right? But this is, from what I can think of, like Romero zombies are the dead being raised out of the ground, yeah. Night of the Living Dead, all that. This is the first type. This is the first time, I think, that I can remember of 
zombies being a virus. Um, at least uh, historically widely understood as a virus, I think. Right. Uh, at least in cinema, maybe not in literature. I think historically, I think zombie is this sort of Haitian voodoo sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that that you have this level of of um, Creole mysticism, magic, black magic type thing where you and sometimes referred to as like juju zombies. Right. Um, and that's how, that's how like, for instance, in Dungeons and Dragons, they're delineated where you have your necromantic type zombies, your, uh, your juju zombies, which are more like enslaved individuals who are kind of mindless. And then you have zombies like this um, who are, are virally based. But also this is your, this is really what, popularized and maybe pioneered the fast zombies and the, yeah. the fast zombies in, in, in some ways are um, much more frightening at least in in uh, the immediacy of it and um i think Let's i think see. it makes for better better film um and and with the idea of say like in world war z the film well, the zombies are a little faster, but but right, this but that comes rabid. that comes after. But in World War Z, the book. Well, World War, I was I was just looking World War Z up. Uh, World War Z was actually written in two thousand six, so it is after twenty eight days later. But that's when it was published. I don't know when uh, the author Brooks Max Brooks Max Brooks started writing this. Like I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you can figure yeah. it out. You can go it Google is. it or whatever, but. Yeah, his his take is more of the the Walking Dead, um, the Walking Dead and and World War Z. Um, there, we'll and it started. It started actually. What you really need to do is look up um, the Survivor's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse because that is uh, Max Brooks's original work. Okay. Um, but and that that establishes his rules for zombies, and I feel like that's where the Walking Dead set their things up. But twenty eight days later is um, is a different take i think they're both they're both viruses uh, they both share that in common but um 28 days later is um it seems some some semblance of more containable and but it's also one of those things of uh and and this is a theme i kind of see in the movie about rapid decision making like you decide now in a heartbeat or oh yeah if you don't sure. if you don't if you don't make quick decisions, you are dead. You're dead. And if you make the wrong decision quickly, you're, you're dead. dead. Um, a lot of people, when this came out, well, I remember a lot of people saying, it's not a zombie movie. They're not the dead. They're not undead. They are just infected, which is okay. I mean, but that, that's okay. I'll, I'll accept that. How, how, um, many, but, how many zombie movies refer to their zombies as zombies none, none. Well, so i have a friend who is uh my friend taylor if he ever listens to this uh easy t he is a zombie film fanatic and he zombie land came out and they start and they use the term zombie and he said this is not a real zombie film because they say zombie real zombie films do not use the word zombie to refer to them and walking dead i think they're 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 Different groups call them different things. I remember the first time you're introduced to Glenn, he calls them geeks. 
for whatever reason. I don't know. You just got to get creative when you're writing that kind of thing. But let's let's move on. We'll talk about zombie films more uh, towards the end. Yeah, we're going 28 days later, which is right. Well, what comes well, up? I want to rewind before we we go there. Yeah, these monkeys they get a nice few good shots. Uh, the one's like breathing onto the glass. He's you could tell he's almost like enjoying the chaos that's going on right now. He breathe in the the glass fogs up. And then uh, the rest of them are like banging on their cages and they're cheering this infection that spreads through everybody that's in the room. They're all, they're all infected. And now they're going to essentially break out of that lab and infect everybody else along with this, the one loose monkey. Okay. So that's um, going to, that's going to bring up a question I have mm-hmm. um, as we watch the film. And um, so we do, and we've been talking about the various genres of zombie films, and so, you know, your original um, Romero type thing is, you know, brains, brains, right, uh, sort of thing, but, um, and and then you've got, like, Walking Dead, where they're, they're not just, I'm going to infect you, I'm going to eat you, we're just going to mm-hmm. eat you, and you might die in the process, or you might, you know, if we don't leave anything enough for, you know, you to be reanimated. Is the is the motivation of the infected, which is the term that's used mm-hmm. for our right. zombies in this film, twenty eight days later, is their motivation to kill out of rage, or is their motivation to infect and then spread their rage, and and thus, you know, is, is that the motivation, or are they killing? Because in in the film, I think we're going to see it's it's somewhat difficult to tell. Right. Uh, well, we'll talk about that toward the end of the movie because that's a a plot point. I think what happens. Um. So after the monkeys are cheering this virus, cheering this madness on, um, we cut to black, and we get. 28 days later comes up on our screen. Um, it's quiet. No ambient music at all. Right. Uh, we cut to a nice, weird angle, half-obscured kind of close-up of uh, Killian Murphy's closed eye, who is our hero. Uh, he exhales, and his eyes open, and we get a few obscure establishing shots of the room and we realize where we are he's uh and he realized where he is you know as we the viewer kind of realize as he does you know where he is and he is in a hospital we get a nice full uh fully nude killian murphy and uh full frontal you think it's necessary no but i my my Puritan heritage is showing, so... Right, okay. I mean, it's just kind of... This is a realism. This is the UK. Right, I guess. (laughs) It's a UK UK indie film. Danny Boyle's kind of known for his raw takes. Like uh, He's unabashed with all kind of stuff, language. Anyway. uh, He he gets up. He kind of looks out the window, kind of starts looking around. And, of course, now... He starts wandering the empty hospital. He's now dressed in scrubs. And he is shouting, Hello? Hello? 
that his his willingness to make as much unnecessary noise with calling out for people and whatever this whole movie drives me absolutely bonkers even after right now it's forgivable because he, he doesn't he doesn't know he has no fucking he clue. has no clue and that's okay but all right the the continuance of this the, at least is consistent with his character right but oh i'm just like you are so well, later stupid. later in the movie he says it but he says it in a way that he's like he's nonchalant about it like something comes out I, i'm a beat it's ass anyway his head is half shaved so we know he probably had some sort of head injury. Um, that's usually I didn't he even had pick up on that. Yeah, he, he's his head is half shaved with a little scar on it. So he probably had been in some sort of accident that caused his head to be damaged, and he had surgery. Yeah, the last man alive in the world is <laughs> got a lobotomy. All right, uh, he tries the payphones. Nothing. He leaves them. There, there's a nice shot there with the payphones dangling. It's kind of just a. Uh, representing that he is alone yeah there's no communication that that was one of the some you know there's a lot of symbolism and you know everything seems to be very deliberate in this movie and i think those, those yeah payphones is uh is one of them right uh so he finds these pepsis on the ground um and he cracks one and it's a very satisfying product uh, placement Product placement, for sure. Uh, but also realism. I mean, well, if you're in the South, uh, you know, in the Deep South, we're in Louisiana, it's Coke. I mean, they sell Pepsi here. They sell Pepsi here, but ain't nobody drinking Pepsi in South Louisiana. Just, Not in public, anyway. Right. They do it behind closed doors if they like the flat Coke, the flat version of Coke. Uh, anyway... So he is wandering out. Oh, he downs this Pepsi. He is thirsty. Oh yeah, that, I remember he that. he that's... is gulping this Pepsi down, and and that's good. That's oh. a, that's actually good because it, it establishes without telling us diddly squat. I mean, it shows us what we need to know. It's a good show don't tell moment where it's like, how long has this guy been out? He is dying for. He's dehydrated. He needs something. You know. Right. And we're only 28 days from where the original outbreak occurred. So, I, I, and I can't imagine the hospital shut down immediately after. Oh, no. no. Yeah. No. So I, I'm thinking 10 days he's been without uh, medical attention, maybe 18 days. I don't, I don't think that long. I, I don't know. But he, I think he may have been unconscious for that. Oh, long. for sure. He might have been unconscious for a lot longer um, than that. But, um, but he bags the, he bags a bunch of cans up, which will which is kind of a plant for later. But where does he get a grocery bag? They're everywhere at a hospital. Oh, I don't know because there's a bunch of cans. This 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 vending machine has spat all these cans onto the ground, and I it's thought, a big mess. I, but where does he get a grocery bag? I, I don't know. I thought I was going to be the nitpicker. I guess this is we may need to. No, well, I I notice things in movies that I'm like, come on. Because, okay, we're both writing our own novels here, but I write start writing this thing out, and then I'm like, oh, she put this in a bag. I'm like, well, where the hell did she get this bag? Crap. 
All right. Well, now I got to write where she got the bag. But I, in I, movies, I, there's no, there's really, there's no time to show where they it, found this bag. It's also not necessary for that sort of thing with pacing and things like that. It, well, I mean, if, I'm sure if you go looking, like, if we go to to my school and we look in each teacher's um, desk, you're going to find all sorts of random and yet very useful things that you might want to use in a zombie apocalypse. That's true. Okay, I'll 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 accept it. I'll accept that. Mary Jo, the nurse on duty, the carries day, her lunch in the in carries a, her lunch like I do in a grocery bag. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we are. He is out. He is kind of on this balcony. We're getting a lot of these uh, establishing shots. Establishing shots. We see Big Ben and setting the scene of. Okay. Well, the first thing we get is a bunch of these Big Ben miniatures just skewed askew all over the ground oh see i missed that and then he like kind of walks around them and then we get the big ben shot okay well i think then that the the little big bens being scattered and fallen um you know that's that's foreshadowing that hey london has fallen and i think that's its own movie but uh, <laughs> the it's right but it's also a, a nursery rhyme right London Bridge, London is, Bridge falling. is falling down. Right. Not, not Big Ben, but uh, I mean, nobody knows what London Bridge looks like to the like, maybe in the UK, but like us, I don't know what it looks like. But I, Big I Ben, do. Big I Ben do. is iconic. I do, but but I I you're tend all, to study you're history. Also an, a history nerd. Yeah, and and but I think uh, th what this all sets up though is is the you know the post apocalypse is apparent here, um, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and one of the things. Well, I may be jumping over you here. The we're getting a lot of these low angle shots. We get the high angle shots, oh, these, wide shots. Yeah, these high angle shots. Our that du are Dutch angle. Dutch. I think our, our older brother, our other brother, our other brother uh, was, was pointed out. About, yeah, uh, to to define it. Um, but they they really give you that sense of how small he feels in this moment, how alone he feels in this moment, and uh, how alone he it feels to be in a big city all alone like he's just monitoring of course hello hello every uh every so often he's he's trying to find somebody and there's nothing and i think one of the things that that kind of is good there to you know we talked about the the drinking of the pepsi kind of establishing like how long maybe he he's been without care but also i think the um when he's he's gathering uh, money up off the ground um he's unaware of the collapse of the system i think it's a very good show don't tell moment um yeah. in that regard where, where it's like he is not in the same world as he left as he you know the world he was he's woken up in you know he's he's and this is this is really a common trope in in the whole thing and it's it's really a, a steal from washington irving um, with Rip Van Winkle, you know, he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he's, he wakes up 200 years later, a hundred years later. I can't, um, I need to reread him, but you know, and it's, of course, that's not a, it's not a Washington, uh, a, you know, Washington Irving, you know, he wrote Sleepy Hollow and the devil and Tom Walker. He, he explores some supernatural, um, evil themes, but you know, not zombies, but the, it's, it's still that, that concept of, well, he went to sleep in, in one world and he wakes up in another. And this is showing us 
because he's got nobody to talk to. This is this gathering up of money is really showing us, hey, he he doesn't get yet that he is not where he he fell asleep. Right. And I think, not I think, but when he starts gathering up this money, we start hearing this music, this kind of indie mm-hmm. build up. Yeah, good, uh, good hard heavy rock. I wouldn't call it heavy rock, but it's it's but a it's kind a, of an indie indie guitars, drums that are that are swelling. This music is crescendoing slow, to it's a good slow crescendo. Yeah, he it is crescendo, and it gets louder and louder and louder as he starts to realize what has happened. I think the collecting money thing is really interesting because it gives us this show mm-hmm. that he is not of this world. He rip, he is a Rip Van Winkle character here who's gone to sleep and he's woken up in a world that is not his own. Right. And, you know, that's, a, I mean, that tends to be a, a trope in the zombie world. Um, so... Uh, yeah, and then the the scene kind of closes out with this camera zooming in on a photo of a uh, kid, a young kid. He's probably about eight years old or so. And it's really kind of settling into this whole, this is the future our kids will inherit sort of thing, which I mentioned earlier. And we are in somewhere else. Uh, we see these kind of crosses in the forefront, which kind of establish that we're in a church. And uh, the double doors open up. We see our character walk in. And extremely fucking nigh can be seen painted on the walls there. And as the stairs come up, we see it fully. and says, repent. The end is extremely fucking nigh. You have any thoughts about that? Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things that's it's a common trope. It's something we see fairly frequently with, um, I mean any kind of disaster movie you have the the it's usually a a a passing thing because it's i mean it's a cultural trope where somebody is decrying uh the end of days the apocalypse um right you know and you know the, the idea of repenting and and you know this is your last chance to get get yourself right with god um i think i think that's important uh, to to kind of make sure you throw in there. And it, some people don't like it because um, it's used and it's occasionally overused. But the, the thing is, is, do you really expect it not to be there? So, you know, and, and sometimes it's done in poor taste, but I think, I think here it's, it's a little interesting. And I think that the idea of... Uh, having the the cuss word written inside the church is a little unsettling yeah it's it's certainly i think it's it's meant to be unsettling and a little 
um, avant-garde maybe, but I'm not sure why the message is inside a church. Um, because if generally if you're in the church, that, that, that message can be preached to you. It's usually seen outside the church. Um, with people wearing sandwich board signs or, right. uh, you know, that kind of thing, you know, holding up a sign, but um, banners and such. But I think I think it's just one of those things that we will see um, Danny Boyle do here with uh, he'll he's going to play your, the tropes um, pretty hard, but he's going to do so. He's going to try to put his own little spin on some of the things because just like stereotypes, which, which, you know, good or bad, the, the tropes for, for literature, for movies, for television, for, for all, all your, your story books. Cause you got, books, you got Robert, your... you got Robert Kirkman who starts the walking dead with his, his protagonist, Rick Grimes is, he wakes up in a bed in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And he's been asleep for the whole time, it, which is this kind he, of plays back to this Rip Van Winkle thing. You said right. he wakes well, up. Washington Irving, you know, starts this back in the 1800s, and I'm, I'm not sure if 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 he stole it from anything else. Um, you know, all all the best all the best writers do. Right. Um, they just make sure they hide their their sources a little bit. And um, The Walking Dead came out in 2010. The issue one was the post date there, so this was definitely first. Um, and sure. I think you also have the character of Michonne, uh, the you know, African-American woman with the, the sword is kind of inspired by a character in this film as well. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. But, yeah, um, for sure. I, so, think, I think she... I, th- I think... Direct... I think it's a direct... Uh, homage, maybe, yeah, let's say. I, yeah. I think I think Naomi Harris's character in this film, though, is even... Oh, she's... Is out- even more badass. Oh, she's outstanding. But um, we'll get we'll get into her later. Uh, he walks into what I can see as a sanctuary. This eerie sort of soundtrack comes in and startles us. It's like this kind of wong stringed ominous tones. Immediately you feel unsettled as we see stacks of bodies everywhere, which apparently Danny Boyle was inspired by, or Alex Garland too. They were both inspired, not inspired, but you know, Motivated by motivated by what the the scenes from the genocides that happened in Sierra Leone and uh, probably you know Rwanda as well, um, and kind of calls back to the scenes from the very first images we get in this film. Do you think one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about is the the dead in in the church? Um, they, they kind of seem all like piled on one another and, and things like that in this, in this scene. Um, and, and I know you, you talked about the, like the, the motivation from uh, real world events. Um, do you think this might be like the scene of a, a mass suicide a la Jonestown? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think what happens is these people start dying in droves and they don't know where to put the bodies. Um, I think in walking dead, they start stacking them up in the hospital and we get the whole iconic scene of don't open dead inside. Mm. And of course some of them are zombies or whatever, but I think and I think in, in our history, that's where they, they just stack the bodies up in a church, but the dead bodies that died 
everywhere. I don't think. Well, I, I mean, I don't. I don't know about that happening in a sanctuary per se, but maybe in the in the they, know, they stack graveyard. They, they definitely need somewhere to put these bodies, and they don't have anywhere that can hold the amount of death, and they just kind of put them somewhere. Interesting. But okay. this, I think, what this is really saying to us is that there's nowhere safe. There is no sanctuary. You know, you're not safe this pandemic, so to speak. And it is abundantly clear. He hasn't said anything else but hello. So, of course, why change now? He shouts hello. And... It drives me crazy because, you know, I have the I have the the benefit of dramatic irony here going. And, <laughs> and you know, the audience, we were like, you're an idiot. We know that, that these this are is, dead. Yeah, we know the dead are around, right. like, or, or, you know, the infected here, you know, and, and whatever you call your zombies, it's just like, we know they're there. It's it's the... Um, well, we don't know that they're right there in the piles of dead people, but he says hello, and immediately two bodies pop up. So he says hello. Hello? And these, these things pop up, and they're... Pretty, pretty frightening. Like it's inhuman. In, it's intense, too. I mean, this yeah. whole scene. But they don't do anything. They just go like, and they stare at it. It doesn't matter. I know, no, but that's inhuman. what makes you feel like, oh, my goodness. Right. And uh, banging. Immediately, we start hearing this banging, 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 banging. And uh, our hero goes to investigate, of course, as every, uh, that's a horror movie trope. Definitely. Yeah, you don't, the, they the don't bang. just immediately run. They go to investigate what the what the duck is going on here and these doors fly open and it's a priest and he's frothing and twitching and <laughs> and it, it's pretty definitely unsettling that even they're like this kind of lets you know off the bat that you know not even god you know this you know, this is a so sort so-called man of uh, god and he's been infected and he's crazed and mad as well right it kind of i mean it kind of depends on your worldview of how how you take it as you know a viewer and but it's certainly one of those things where you're looking at it like um i'm you you see this vicious thing that used to be human that used to be a a cleric a man of god um, a man of the cloth the that we generally in our culture in, in in many cultures no matter what your religion is you kind of expect that um these these people will have a gentle nature a a nurturing personality because of the uh vocation that they have um whether or not you you hold to that particular religion you you still expect a, a certain thing and and this is obviously unsettling to our protagonist. Right. Um, I mean, it, it, it's very he, he doesn't know what to do, and he's and he fi he finally says another word. He says father. And he, he he's confused, obviously, and it is frothing and raving towards him, you know, fa fast. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, well, this well maybe not too fast, but he's making his way he's not like a dragging sort of zombie we get the grocery bag full of soda cans as the weapon which is i thought was awesome he smacks the hell out of him the zombie priest falls to the ground and now he's crawling 
towards him fast. And, and this is one of the only times in the film that the infected are presented. And, and I think it's for, for the audience's benefit. Mm-hmm. That the, the infected are presented and the protagonist is given just enough time. Right. Not too much time, but just enough time to actually think. Yeah, um, for sure. I, um, I, and and you know that's one of the themes in the film is is making quick decisions uh, um, in order to survive. And I think that this is one of those times where he's not. He doesn't have to make too too quick a decision. He is running, and he's like, "I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that." And he busts out the door, and he is on the run now. And these things are running after him. Our hero is on the run. We get these weird flashes of flame across the screen. And I feel like this is filmed in such a way from these new characters' perspectives. It kind of lets us know that maybe he's not alone as he thinks he is. I mean, he's certainly not alone since he's running from these infected. But we get some sweet pyrotechnics here. Yeah, I think they're really cool. The blowing up of the uh, gas station always, it sticks with me. Like, there's this cool metal panels bouncing around and flying off through the explosion. Yeah, I'm not one that's really super motivated by pyro, but I, I think it's very interesting. Says the childhood pyromania. I think that's wise because I actually played with fire quite a bit as a kid. <laughs> and so I was I was always interested in, in melting like things. Actual well actual inspecting and looking close at, at what fire does to things. So you know that's an aside and that's a little bit um, creepy. But the idea of, um, you know, just looking at large explosions and things like that, it, as an adult, it doesn't uh, appeal to me nearly as much. Um, but I think that the, the being rescued by Molotov cocktails is a pretty uh, interesting thing. Um, but, and, and the fiery zombies... Oh yeah, um, that, I mean that—that's pretty impressive. I mean, it was—it's cool. I, I, you can kind of tell that they're, they're wearing suits, and all of a sudden, because they're not moving right the same way. But it—it's—it's it, good visual, and and you know, there's but, there's no at this point in time, uh, there's no real good way to do CG flame. Um, there, there really isn't. I mean, Lord of the Rings worked on it with the Balrog, and and they had to, to do a lot of like. Weta did a lot of different things with that to make it um, real, but they had to use basically real flame for it. Um, But one thing with the explosions is um, like the desaturated cityscape really pops uh, the the pyro. And um, I think my, my problem with it is... I'm not sure what it adds to the story. Yeah, they just blow up a gas station. They didn't show that these things were caught in that explosion. Maybe it's a distraction so they can get away safely. I think that's what it is. But I, I kind of feel like it's an obligatory pyro shot for an action movie. But I mean, it's not was... an action movie. This is so far from an action movie because it's very. It, it is very plotting and it sells itself though as as that i mean there's action so i mean it's of course it's a different type of action movie and it's thoughtful in, in its its ways i'm not trying to, to belittle it when i say as an action movie but you know to to sell it right to, to sell it to to folks you want to 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 a mainstream audience you're gonna have to you're gonna have to sell that there's action and so having scenes where there is pyro, I think it's just one of those things. And Especially just, early on in the movie. 
Right. Yeah. And it's just, it's not, I don't, I don't need it because I'm not, I'm not in it for that, but I, I see why it's done. Okay. So he's asking like, please tell me what the fuck is going on. And we're off with our two new masked characters, which kind of shrouds them in mystery a little bit. And we're running down some escalators. I guess they're in a mall or an airport or something. Uh, I think it's probably a department store like Marks and Spencer. So that's in the UK. Like we don't exactly have have that here. It'd be right. like if JC Penny or, or Sears like also sold groceries. So we get a close up, I guess, from our hero's perspective of a gas mask, and we get introduced to our new character with a joke. Uh, he says. A man walks into a bar with a giraffe. The giraffe falls over. They each get pissed. The man goes to leave. The barman says, Oi, you can't leave that lion there. He says, No, it's not a lion. It's a giraffe. We get no reaction from Killian Murphy's character. And as he uh, walks off, the character unmasks himself. It's not funny. But he, we get no, but he, he says, He's completely humanless. Humorless. Humorless? Humorless. See, I was watching it with subtitles. I thought it said humanless. It says humorless. I was watching with subtitles too. Okay, well, it's I... completely humorless. He's and... completely humorless. All right, cool. And, and so, but I think I think they're actually your misunderstanding of, of or mishearing of the word is actually kind of actually it's point poignant there because he's also speaking. He's a very thick accent. This guy, uh, yeah, but. So so does Kelly Murphy as Jim. I mean, he's got an accent too. Oh, but the sure. thing is, is that if you have lost all your sense of humor, are you still human? Like the thing is, is like what are what they're looking for survivors of this. Mm-hmm. And so you know, he starts off by telling a joke. He hasn't lost his humanity. Yeah, for um, sure. And I think I think that's actually important there. And and, and it's a joke. It's like it's a setup joke it's not something that's actually real funny he reveals his name is jim we also get our other character uh she demasks and it is uh naomi harris she's uh, selena selena and the other guy i don't know his name mark his name is mark but i don't know the actor's name oh naomi harris you'll find her in the daniel craig bond films as money penny um that's the thing that comes to my mind did she play in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean as like the one of the later? You say sequels? that now. You say that now, and now I'm seeing like her uh, with the dreads, dreadlocks, and the dirty like teeth, the, the, voodoo, the witch voodoo witch kind of thing. Kind of yeah, thing. I think that that is her. Um, Which I didn't recognize her though in any of those other films. Like like <laughs> watching this back, I'm like going, oh, she's she's kind of like I don't know her. So Jim wants to go find his family, and he's trying to leave, and they say you'll go and come back. Yeah. And he says, yeah. And she says, no one comes back. No one ever comes back or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of explain what happened to their families. Everybody's family is dead. Yeah. So, so Selena's family is dead. Mark's family is dead. And she says, yours are dead too. Right. Um, and, and I think that kind of goes with uh, part of where her, it really establishes where her character is starting and, and that she kind of seems to be one of those people who makes their own experience mm-hmm. and takes their own experience and applies it to everyone else. And I think, I mean, we all have a tendency to do that, but she, we see she's very hard, but we're also introduced to the lessons here. Yeah. Lesson one, 
this is coming from Mark. He says, lesson one, you never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Lesson two, only travel during daylight unless you've got no choice. So, <laughs> so we know that by the end of the film, we should see both lessons broken, right? Yeah, basically. Um, and Selena kind of says, you know, tonight we'll rest. We'll go see your dead parents tomorrow. Right. She's, she is ruthless. And this is, Selena is, in my mind, she's the OG Michonne, if you think in Walking Dead. Most, I mean, tons of people watched at least the first season, first few seasons of Walking Dead, and, and they know who Michonne is. She's kind of this cultural icon. Um, but I think, I think, this is Selena the, in, in, in 28 Days Later is, I think she's more badass in a lot of ways. Sure, but the, the original, like, you get introduced to Michonne and she's cloud of mystery. You have no idea what she's been through. And I mean, she's carrying two walkers with her that are arms cut off. Okay, her, fair enough. Her yeah. brother and her friend, her brother and her lover, or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Chained up, jawless, and no arms. So, but I mean, this is she selena's walking around with machete the whole movie like that's her weapon of choice we got michonne who's got a katana that's her weapon of choice so but yeah so yeah, tomorrow so, they find the dead parents right so we we established though the motivation for our protagonist here is he wants to find his parents um and you know we're, we're given to believe pretty frankly that they're dead Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is it? I thought it was it was Mark who actually says that they'll take take him to see his dead parents. Maybe N- not Maybe. Selena. Yeah, might, um, might might be. But but either way, it kind of shows that Mark and Selena though they they they're definitely very different people. You know, Mark starts off with the joke and everything, but and Selena actually, oddly enough, does seem pretty humorless at this point um, in the film. The they are they are in sync, Mark and Selena. Okay, so now it's daylight, and the soundtrack is this a, song called Abide With Me, and they're the, traveling on foot uh, to, I guess, Jim's parents. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's a Scottish-Anglican hymn, um, and the, the lyrics are really, I mean, and... and they play through quite a bit of, of the hymn. Yeah, it, it plays um, through a lot. Not just the, the walking scene, but up until they get to his parents' house. Yeah, and, and some in it. I mean, it's yeah. like, and, I, and I'm asking myself, you know, why this hymn? And I'm a, I'm a big fan of of hymns. Uh, Anglican hymns are, are particularly good, and I do love anything that's Scottish. Um, that's kind of one of the things I, I think I'm known for. That our heritage is, we are, we are Scottish you know, at least on our dad's side. And uh, we'll definitely get to some of those those films, Braveheart, Rob Roy, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. But the the thing is, um, I question, you know, why this hymn? Right. And um, it's it's a hymn that's that's about comfort in darkness, you know, that, that you're seeking um, God to... to protect and, and be with and knowing that even though bad things are happening, you know, nevertheless abide with me. That's the, the point. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting that it's, um, 
you know, done while he's looking through his parents' house. And then, and one of the things I notice here is he, he smells something. Oh, well, hold, hold um, on. I want to get to Selena's half warnings before he goes inside. He starts going inside of their parents' house and she says, if anyone is in there, and he said, I understand. And she said, anyone. And he said, I understand. Mm. I like that. That's a neat touch that, that they don't even, you know, let her finish her warning he didn't let her finish her warning he's like i get it all right yeah i I think in in this thing is you don't you don't survive a a blip in this world if if you don't get don't get the the some of the survival subtext right um so yeah but he 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 covers his he covers his face right he he smells as he goes up the stairs i appreciated the fact that that he does Mm-hmm. Uh, which they didn't. He didn't do in the church, and I, I think that that's a that was a nitpick slight a nitpicky thing. But you know, it's it's kind of like well, part of the problem is is that you don't get smells in theater, and quite frankly, when this movie's concerned, I'm glad we don't. But um, <laughs> you know, you need you need your actors. That's the 4D experience. The gas starts coming out of your uh, yeah, your chair. I, I'm I'm okay with not shaking. All right, um, but but. I think that the counterpoint of the hymn, which is really hopeful in darkness, which it's, it's really kind of plays some irony with the, the scene of, of what we learn is suicide. Yeah. And his um, parents are dead in their beds right. holding a photo, which I can only assume is a young Jim. He covers their bodies with the blanket and, uh, it pans out and we see alcohol and pills we, that established what they did to, to commit suicide. And uh, Jim kind of is in this sorrow deep, you know, like he's sad. He, on the back of the photo reads, with endless love, we left you sleeping. Now we're sleeping with you. Don't wake up. X. Like there's an X, the letter X afterward. Kisses. Kisses. Yeah. Maybe. Love XO XO, but no hugs, just a just a kiss. Um, I don't know. This is this is depressing. Uh, and, they didn't expect him to wake up. I don't think. But honestly. yeah, and I mean, they abandoned him. They 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 think he's dying in sleep. But you know, that you also come to the idea that they probably couldn't get to him. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Selena her line you know uh they died peacefully you should be grateful he says i'm not grateful right and we get we get mark's story about like being everybody their idea was to get to the airport as quick as possible but everybody seemed to have that idea and right the only thing to do was climb over more bodies climb, like they were standing on bodies they were standing on people that fell and no they were there was nothing to do well, except climb over more bodies. And this right. is, it, and the it, only thing he could see was his dad above everything. And his dad had these eyes, these blood red eyes. And that's, well, um, and this is a really well done like backstory. This really, this really starts playing into one of the, I don't know if it's a universal uh, theme in the zombie genre, but it's, let's say pretty universal in the inevitability um the inevitability of the zombies they're gonna get you it's the the inability to escape and um 
it's like inevitably you will eventually fall to the zombie horde. You might survive longer than others, but inevitably you will fall. And it's, it's one of those things of, it depends on, on how you take zombies. I mean, if you assume that you know, zombies are, are represent the degradation, and the, the fall of, of humanity, um, you know, eventually every civilization falls. And I think that's part of what it's trying to say here. And, and that's part of, uh, part of Mark's backstory and, um, is, re- is relating that to us. Right. And, uh, she declares that it's, it's getting late and they're going to sleep there tonight. Right. Um, they, she makes clear that it is safer if we all sleep in the same room. So they're all on the couches. Um, this movie feels older than it actually is. Like it's very fuzzy looking, um, and that it looks, it's the audio sounds old, like something from the seven, like it was recorded with te- technology from the seventies. And, and, uh, I read that this is one of the first films completely filmed digitally not with film. See, I, is, I thought I read that somewhere that it was filmed with film. No, this is a completely digitally filmed movie interesting uh from this is one of the first ones and it feels like it's fuzzy and grainy and the audio is sort of, and I, I love it i mean it definitely it's definitely not a found footage film but it, it, it gives you that sort of feel i i think part of it is i started feeling that way uh, when i was watching the movie but as it went on, I, I came to, it came to not feel that way at all. Maybe it's like, you know, you adjust to it and, and, and honestly, I guess that kind of goes to the, the, one of the, the points that the film kind of touches on is the, the readiness of humans to adapt right. to their environment. So it's like, well, watching this movie and you're going, oh, it's a little grainy, um, well, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I can watch this. I mean, yeah, I'm here for this story. Like, mm-hmm. this is very intriguing stuff that you're okay with mm-hmm. it looking older than it actually is. Um, it's morning, everybody's sleeping, and uh, Danny Boyle, lo- Danny Boyle really loves these shots with like through a reflection or a window with just like a half obscured face in the corner of it. I was trying to figure out what's happening here. Yeah, like, uh, but he, he's very artistic when it comes to that. Yeah, once once the the shot plays out, you kind of go, oh, you, but it, it does it disorient it disorients. Um, but and I think that's that's really clever here mm-hmm. to to do because the, the cinematography really works to help disorient the reader. Because I mean, not the reader. I'm sorry. I'm an English teacher by <laughs> profession, so I. I tend to say, I'm an English teacher by profession, so I tend to go, oh, the reader, yada, yada. Um, No, but the the viewer, the audience. um, For those of you wondering what that was, I banged my knee on the desk, and it kind of hurt, but I'm okay. But we get uh, recipe books, photographs, home movies. um, And one of the things I kind of questioned about in this film was, the electricity still working? Um, that is interesting, but, but the comforts of home, but it, you know, it's also only 28 days. Yeah. Electricity, I think would still be working. Um, and we, well, we actually get, get some of that the, the later water, with, water. with the, um, 
the wind generators that that show up in a later scene that yeah. kind of they're still kind of, kind of goes okay well yeah there might be uh electricity is still going but um but you see these these comforts of home that yeah. really are never going to be again um uh, and and it's jim's actual home and certainly right before something one of, i think our first real jump scare of the film yeah um he's watching a home movie jim is everybody else is asleep and they're he's kind of making sounds he doesn't need to be making and lights and he's also kind of reenacting you know reenacting the home movies with himself he's obviously the one filming it but he's also quoting himself as he's saying it which is kind of uh sad but we get this cut to these things, the, the infected running outside, and they it's like real silent. And then it's real, real loud. Um, they come bursting through the window, the, the glass doors, windows, whatever, and then throw a skylight, I guess. One comes from through the roof. I don't know. Glass roof, glass ceiling. I don't know. But... This was so much louder than the rest of the movie had been. Uh, I was watching it by myself, rewatching it for this podcast. And uh, my dogs, who don't react to things very often when I'm watching movies loudly, and they <laughs> were terrified just as much as I was. You watch your, you watch your films like with the volume cranked to to eleven. You yeah, know, on, for sure. On, like it's like being in an yeah. actual movie theater. You know, and my like, and my dogs are used to it. But this, when they burst through the glass, uh, they were not okay with it. Yeah. Um, I, I like the 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 line. Uh, you know, they beat off the the infected because we can't end the movie here. They beat them off. Well, sort of. Okay, so <laughs> Chip spin down. Marcus screaming. Uh, fight, fight. I think growing up, I never watched it with subtitles, but I always thought he was saying "bite." I don't know why. Uh, he takes one zombie, and Selena starts hacking, just just wailing on the one that's on top of Jim with uh, the blood, you know, on its neck. The blood spurting out everywhere. I'm like, oh no! Like the first time I watched it, I was like, oh no, our hero! Like he's gonna get blood in his mouth. I didn't. I didn't even think about it until we get her line. You know, where you bitten, blood get in your mouth. Oh yeah. Like that's like I miss. I miss the the. You need you need a reminder about the zombie rules. It, you know, the the viewer needs to to be reminded, and this this is our reminder. And then we that. that's what this scene. I mean, it serves yeah. as that in in some ways. But it also this is the, this is it. And like we cuts to Mark, who's been who's been. Uh, who's really been played up to be the number two protagonist. I feel like we've gotten all his story, all his backstory and basically nothing with Selena. It's, and it's and like he's the, been bitten. It's like the Iliad. Um, cla- I mean, the, the quintessential classic literature where Homer introduces a character and he tells all about his backstory and, and you know, his homeland and his family only to say, he and died. he got killed, and and you're like, what? What? Wait, what? I thought this was guy was important, and it's like, no, yeah, he's not important. Well, he's been uh, he's gushing blood out his arm. It doesn't look like 
he'd been bitten. It doesn't look like a bite mark or anything. It looked like he'd been cut by glass or something that had been, but there's no telling. There's literally no telling of if some more, some other, this infected blood or saliva had gotten into his cut. I mean, that's a wrap. Selena kills him. And that, well, this, this brings up the, the concept in, in the, the movie that you have to act quickly. quickly. Like, there's no, there's no hesitation. Hesitation means you die. Right. Um, and you have to make the right choice instantaneously. And we'll see this come up again and again in the film. And, yeah, for um, sure. and, and, you know, uh, particularly with Selena uh, and we, but we see here that how absolutely no nonsense and, and oh, oddly sh- enough, humorless. She is hacking she is. away at her counterpart with this uh, machete. I and mean, it's so, very disturbing how she just killed, like he hadn't turned yet. Right. And he's, he's crying out like not yet or something, you know, like, you know, and she didn't wait for him to turn. She just straight up right, hacked him to death. And, and he's holding his hand up and it's just gone. Like it's right. being and, hacked up. So you don't, and we, we learn here that you have 10 to 20 seconds to kill someone yeah, who's yeah, infected. Yeah. And, and it's like, uh, to me, especially in a, in a post COVID-19 world, you know, you're kind of going, is there any virus that really works remotely this fast? Um, and, and, you know, we kind of brought that up at the very, like the, the prologue scene basically. Um, but you know, I, I get it sci-fi horror, but like some things uh, that, that does try a little bit on the suspension of disbelief, um, because it doesn't seem to like scientifically hold up on like virology or whatever, but it's such good cinema. Because oh. of, of the things it brings up, because you're just like, there's no, there's no like uh, with with the Walking Dead, it's like, oh, I got bit, I just got bit. It's like, well, let's amputate your arm, right? And maybe, uh, maybe it won't spread to the rest of you. Yeah, maybe it won't spread to your brain. And it's like, yeah, you you don't get that opportunity. No, ten to twenty seconds. So we get that exposition uh, after they leave the house, but Selena tells Jim to get dressed. That the more infected will be coming, and she's. Rummaging through the cupboards and the cabinets for food, I assume. And uh, I love the shots of Jim watching in silence as she killed Mark. Yeah, that, he's just like, "Holy shit!" Well, it, it puts it puts into perspective the well, really the juxtaposition of his ignorance and innocence and naivete but and which is and way different than where, we, where he ends up at the end of the movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that that would, would certainly get to that we would really highlights it here and it's gonna it this is a journey for jim and selena right and selena is, is as much a protagonist in this film as jim is um the only difference is is that she isn't the one we start with Right. But I think she has just as much of a character arc um, as Jim, and I, I think that's that's really important uh, to look at. And you know, but it, it's we we need to see her. We well, let's say let's put it this way: we need Jim to be our Rip Van Winkle because we don't understand this world yet. We need her to already understand this world, not only for narrative purposes. But also because, like, we need her to be different from Jim. Yeah, Jim is the product of our world. Jim is Selena, the viewer. 
Jim is the viewer. He's we're ignorant, and so is he. And Selena is in this world, and is where it is the person the viewer would become as we as we are more exposed to this world. Um, and I, I think that that's really that's really important. And, the, and in that way, that the storytelling, which is really what I'm concerned about, is the storytelling. It, it's it's done so well. The characters here are perfect, and there's and they can't be more disalike. And I think you know we see that as they as they're walking and the, and they begin their travel. You know, she talks about you know, do you want to find a cure and save the world, you know, or or fall in love, or just fuck. You know, staying alive as good as it gets. Yeah. Um. And, and we're trying to talk about selena's character arc but she had no backstory when they when alex garland wrote this uh but to explain to naomi harris and uh danny boyle came up with a backstory for her which was that she killed her parents to save her little brother only for her little brother to be infected as well and she had to kill him as well which that that that'll screw anybody up i think (laughs) Yeah, that's her. That's how she's got her hard nosed attitude. Well, uh, that uh, I I take it as canon. I mean, it's not in the film, but right, and that's, and that's what the, the director and the actress have come up with for this character, and I'm I'm all about it. And and it's and it, the, you know this isn't a, a like a post story J.K. Rowling edition. <laughs> this was done with <laughs> this is done with with the intent of of informing the actress and how she she portrays the character. And that's that's good, but it really, what this whole thing does is it shows Selena's character is all about survival. Right. There, there, she doesn't have any noble goal like saving the world, finding a cure. There's nothing like that. She she finds the whole idea absolutely ridiculous, which is really good because this is one of the, the zombie traits that they or zombie genre traits, you know, that they they go and they're like, oh, we're gonna find the cure, and then you know, um, like um, I I am legend. You know, it's like, oh, well, we're gonna find the cure. It's like, no, you're not gonna find a cure for for this. And staying but, alive so, is as good as it gets. But this really, yes, staying alive is as good as it gets. Is is her basically her entire motivation? Um, it, it's, but like all the zombie films, it was really discussing human nature and it, and it and human nature at its base. Mm-hmm. So, you know, survival comes first, always does. Um, sex is the secondary goal, which she mentions. Falling in love is something separate from that. Saving the world is far away beyond all of that. And so it kind of actually, as I mentioned, you know, I'm a teacher, it kind of reminds me of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, where you talk about like, you can't educate a student unless their basic needs are being met. If they're not getting fed at home, you know, you can't go and expect them to learn Romeo and Juliet. You know, this it's not what they do. And I don't think anybody who's really listening and very interested in this podcast is, is you know, being, is without a home right now. Uh, in For the most part, you know, most people don't, don't get to spend time on that unless they have their basic needs met. So, like, in zombie flicks and stories in general, we we explore basic human needs and what sorts of things and situations we as humans can adapt to. Um, 
you know, and we're, we're exploring the zombie rules of this world. Um, these are rage zombies. They're fast. They're highly infectious. Um, and they're, they're not the, the slow, inevitable marching of, you know, World War Z zombies or, or the Walking Dead zombies or, you know, even going further back to Romero zombies. But um, and we, we've kind of addressed that to a, a great degree already and we'll probably address it some more. These but, are not Romeros. Those are the no. slow plotting undead. Those are, um, known, those are known as Romeros. So, but now we're going to get to the blinking light. So these are blinking lights. And I guess what is a high rise apartment building? Yeah. Sticking out kind of like a sore thumb there. Uh, yeah. And I think it's supposed to, and they're blinking. They're blinking. We cut to inside shopping carts. Yeah, like grocery. It's 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 a makeshift barricade, uh, as uh, Jim calls them shopping trolleys. I think is what he calls them later on in the film. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. That, uh, there's not like you can tell this is a British film. Yeah, but like there's nothing to. He calls them shopping trolleys here. Actually, I mean, un- I there's nothing unrelatable to Americans that I I mm-hmm. feel like you know. Uh, they crawl over him up the stairs. They go. Jim needs a break. He is exhausted. We kind of get an exposition of why he's exhausted. He's a sugar overload, and you're crashing. Well, yeah. And I Salinas, mean, uh, she she don't stop. She's nonstop. Right, but I think I think we also need to be reminded um, as viewers that Jim is, is a he just woke up from the hospital like. He's also, yeah, he's not like an athlete or anything special. Well, he hasn't been surviving in this world for a month either. Like yeah. he's not he's not built up anything. He's he's not of this world. He's not built to survive it. And they, yeah, that's just a, a further you know difference between these two characters. Uh, Selena offers him Pepsi or Lilt. Do you know what Lilt is? Nah, uh, it's um, and he asks for there's all sorts. He of, asks of for stuff. Tango, which. Uh, you know, I lied about the whole thing about not anything uniquely like unrelatable to Americans. No, we have all our sugary drinks, but yeah, we don't know that one. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna look a little up. Maybe keep talking about the scene. All right. Well, you know, she. <laughs> I like I like his line here when when you, she she's talking. They stop and anything is it basically is like I didn't think you'd give a shit. Yeah. and and it's like yeah, it, it lets it lets her character understand that like yeah he gets it and and lets us understand that like yeah i mean her she she comes across as hard um even to everybody um and you know they're being chased again suddenly um and he he we see here he's begging for her to wait for him yeah uh Um, check i'm checking back in with lilt hold on i'm a lilt is inspired by the flavors of the Caribbean. It is a sparkling soft drink that contains real pineapple and grapefruit juice for a total, totally tropical taste. That sounds delicious. I would try it. I would drink the hell. It of would it. probably give me heartburn because pineapple juice tends to give me heartburn. But... Okay, yeah. So we're we're running, and we're running, and we're running, and we're running, and we meet an armored man who's going to be their savior for this one he caught um, up to her really quick after being uh, several stories under did, her did did she wait for him i don't think so i think not he, not not this Selena. maybe he's maybe she stopped at when she met up with the uh the our armored man and he eventually caught up 
So, I'm Frank anyway. Jim. Selena. Selena, good to meet you. This is my daughter, Hannah. Come on, sweetheart, say hello. Come on. Um, and so we meet Frank and Hannah, Hannah his, his daughter. daughter. They're trying to get into the door. She won't let him in without daddy's okay. Uh, and yeah. eventually uh, he tells them it's okay. She, he tells her it's okay. They come in and uh, here <laughs> is the wonderful... Brendan Gleeson. I love Brendan Gleeson. Oh and God. I was like, He's when I was amazing. watching this, I was like, I thought it was Brendan Gleeson. This isn't Brendan Gleeson. This is like knockoff Brendan Gleeson. And then, oh, I, yeah, went, and then I went, oh, wait, no, that is Brendan Gleeson. He is. I was really kind of upset at first that it wasn't because I was like, I really remembered him being in this film. Uh, and I've loved him uh, since 1995's Braveheart. And I think that was my introduction to oh, him as a, as a kid. Yeah, same. As a nine-year-old kid just being like, Braveheart is this the guy is the best. Yeah, Braveheart, he plays Hamish, uh, William Wallace's childhood best friend. And he's wonderful. He's yeah. wonderful in that. He's good in the, as Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter yeah. films. And he's in the Bourne movies. He's kind uh, of a villain. Yeah, and he's Is also, that right? No, or is that somebody else? You know, I've never seen the Bourne movies. Oh, no. I think... I'm He's also some we watched me and, me and Emily, my wife Emily. Uh, we watched Cold Mountain recently, mm. and he is uh, he's a musician who's a deserter in the of the Confederate Army, and he's got a very good singing voice. He's, he's mm. he, he play you know, he plays violin and stuff in the film. But anyway, you, you'd expect that, but there's uh, the thing about Brendan Gleeson, and and I think it's. Well, I, I, maybe we can talk about it as, as we go on, but he's he's got this charm about him that's fatherly, macho, and a good yeah. and a good macho and comedic at the same time. He's very good natured, but he's you, he's got this fatherly thing of yeah, he's going to tell you dad jokes, but he's also going to protect your ass. Right. I mean, and, as we see in his full SWAT gear, right. his full riot gear, he's he's he understands how to live in this world and uh he comes in and he immediately kills the christmas lights they, we see their christmas lights he kills the flashing christmas lights he has done what he set out to do which was attract survivors to yeah. find somebody else alive i think it's interesting um, that it's christmas lights yeah it is interesting so they they go and uh they he said this is time to celebrate and they, him and his daughter have a kind of exchange, and she had. We have mom's uh, creme de menthe. This film was actually this scene was actually filmed on September 11th of All 2001, right. and uh, Danny Boyle said it was felt strange celebrating on a day like this. You know, they they have the nice drinks, the nice glasses, um, drinking the creme de yeah, menthe. The... What is creme de menthe? You're the drink expert here. <laughs> It, yeah, and they're actually drinking in cordial glasses. It's one of those things that, that's often nowadays used as a mixer. Um, it, it's a very minty sort of cordial, um, very, very sweet. Um, and and so you, you'd use it in to mix drinks mainly, but uh, I think it was perhaps originally designed to be had and, and, and partaken of in very small quantities. Um, it's very green. Um, yeah, which was, I noticed. It's it's like, uh, and I, I actually wasn't, I didn't, I missed the line uh, that they were drinking creme de menthe. And I was like, uh, what are, what is that? Because it's like, because I wouldn't drink it by itself. 
Um, but I know that that you can. Um, it's just, it was just weird. Um, but it definitely, it establishes the um, the goodwill that Frank and Hannah have towards them. Right. Um, and this this is kind of a meeting and a and a uh, sharing of the table, and that's going to kind of have a, a contrast um, with the sharing of the table scene we'll see later that's far more uncomfortable oh, uh, and, yeah um, and have that. a different I'll definitely talk about that right but it has a it we need to establish that this one is there's no level of um you know belief that these are bad folks we don't have that these are good folks these are these are people who these these people that they meet i think represent the absolute good of humanity um as opposed to who they meet later. Um, now we're, we're, we're cut. We, Jim is shaving. He's mm-hmm. kind of over, you know, he's kind of scruffy from being in a hospital bed, but he's shaving and he's in pain. He's not having a good time of it. Frank cuts in and he explains the toilet situation, which is a bucket that he throws over the balcony every morning. Anything there? Just kind of exposition, explaining well, how how things are working during these times. Yeah, well, it, the thing is, though, it, it also kind of harkens back to the medieval period. So we have a regression of society because that's really what people did mm-hmm. um, with their chamber pots and stuff. So you basically cast your your uh, your, your potty uh, leftovers to the street, and that was what you did, even. Unlike in this period where there's nobody outside to to smell it or to be splashed on, then it was. So I mean, I think I think that's actually purposeful um, in that it establishes a a real regression of society. We have a uh, as Selena calls him very spruce shaved Jim, and he replies with very shredded. They talk about uh, what they think about their newfound friends. And uh, she says, uh, if they slow me down, I'd leave them behind in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's a big thing here. And yeah, Selena, Selena's warning that Jim needs to consider whether they'll slow him down, not whether or not they're good people or not. That's that's key mm-hmm. as to how they consider it. It's, it's Selena's pragmatism versus uh, Jim's compassion. Right. And like... Jim already pegs that Selena's discompassionate. Like yeah, for sure. And you know, she he, says he, she'd he, leave he him kinda, behind. And he kind of plays to it. He he does his little heartfelt thing where he's all, you know, like, you know, I understand, but I want to let you know that I would be dead without you. And she replies with, sure. Yeah. And he said, I mean thank you. And she says, and I mean sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean this really it it kind of heightens to the viewer, like how much humans can change and adapt to their environment. Right. The Selena has been living and surviving in this world. And, and like she, it's left her bereft of compassion. You know, we see uh, it, it, just anything we see as, as just common virtues, but Jim's new, he's not adapted. He's, you know, we've already seen how weak he is in it. Like the begging to not be left behind in this, the previous scene, the need to be rescued. We know that he's weak. He, we've already talked about how he represents the viewer. Mm-hmm. He's, he is the viewer in this alien hellscape. Right. And, you know, we are to identify with Jim and we don't want to be dis- discompassionate and selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to 
you know, the, but the thing is, is that we also have to understand things pragmatically. We haven't seen a lot of survivors. So we have to uh, answer the question is Selena right? Is what she's doing right? And is what she'd become right? And is it better to live than to not live? No. Um, now we are on top of the apartment building. There are, uh, that's your daughter screaming. Um, there are t- these weird tarps tied hmm. up. Um, I guess they're catching rain and we'll find out. Um, Frank explains what happens with the water. You know, it stopped working. They thought they'd be fine. Now they're not. Uh, they, the camera cuts to this really cool shot. It's just the he Frank has got all kinds of shapes, colors of buckets on top of this to catch rain. And he lets us know that it hadn't rained in 10 days. Right. And, and he says, uh, you know, I never thought we would be needing rain so badly. Not in fucking England. Right. And and this, what this does, I mean, it uses real things. Like, I love watching uh, Les Stroud as Survivor Man and Bear Grylls and Man vs. Wild, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, the, you know, and, and some of these techniques, like he talks about not being able to figure out how to do the, like the condensation technique with the, with the plastic the tarps, sheeting yeah. of the tarps. And, um, but really what this is doing for our story, it's a plot device here because it gives us a time limit. It's not raining. They can't gather water. You can't live without water. You have to leave this building. You have to leave this safe haven. Right. So, so if they had it, water, they have electricity. And there's no motivation got, to leave. They've got a barricade. They, they, there's our, you know, we need to leave. Right. So it's like we could do, we could do, you know, which is we could have a cut of 28 days later, and they're all like, oh well, you know, we're just chilling. Selena, but, you know, is whoever. It's just like they're all dealing with that. But, you but know. The, which which leads us to our next scene is Frank winding up his little radio and uh, Selena lets us know that there haven't been any broadcasts for weeks. And Frank says, just listen. Um, and we get a very distinct voice over the radio. Um, listening to it now, you immediately know it's Christopher Eccleston's voice. He's got mm-hmm. a very just, you know, deep sort of is he voice. From Northern England? I don't know. That's, I think that's the accent I'm picking up there, but I'm, I'm maybe uh, just completely off. So this clip, this little broadcast lets us know that these, there are soldiers alive and that the answer to infection is here. Everybody's arguing and they all kind of shut up when Hannah speaks up. And she uh, uh, says that they can get to north of Manchester, which is where this broadcast says they are and uh she said when we get there and they're like get there how and we get us then we get there how and then we get the answer with where the uh, abrupt cut to the taxi car pulling out of the garage right the cab is, is yeah going out and this is the end of part one of our in-depth discussion of 28 days later you can catch us Next time, for part two of 28 Days Later, where we're going to dive into the end of the film and give our final thoughts on the movie. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pod. 
So this has been the Cine Siblings Podcast. I'm Ian. And I'm James. And until next time, go watch a new movie. Or enjoy an old one. Hey, it's Ian. I just wanted to check back in with a little fact-checking on our episode. I either misspoke or misread what the post date on The Walking Dead was. is actually in 2003, so it's way closer to the release of 28 Days Later. And there's no telling when... Robert Kirkman started working that story out, or if he was directly inspired by the film 28 Days Later. Who knows?